All the helpers that we can get. Got our hoops. Got the papers, got the water. Good morning. Great to see you, great to see you. And lovely to have this family with us today in dedication. Because last week we talked about God's desire for a multi-ethnic flourishing community. Remember that? And we are part of that today. And we can celebrate that. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your desire, your plan and purpose that you invite us to be part of. Thank you that your invitation is constantly to partner together with our God in this world which you have gifted to us. And today, Lord, may the meditation of my heart, the words that come from my mouth, be acceptable unto you, my Lord, our rock, our salvation. Amen. Amen. Well, you remember we started last week with diagrams. Well, there's more diagrams today. Why? Because diagrams speak quicker than words. Is that right? So last week we had this one. Can you see that? They're not very thick ones today. We had the beginning and the end uh, that God created. But before that, I'll just get the black one, see if that's better. Before this, God was here, God is always eternal, always has been, always will be, and is king, and is here today with us in our realities. Isn't that beautiful? And our God's desire was to create order out of what was called in that first chapter, chaos. And there is a beginning and there will be an end when somehow, according to Revelation, there's no need for sun and moon and illuminaries and things like that because our God will be present with us and there will be a new creation, new heaven, new earth. Keep reading Revelation 21 and 22, it makes sense if you read Genesis. And this is what I want to say about Genesis. Genesis 1 and 2 is the basis of every theological idea that you will ever discover in the rest of the scriptures. Genesis 1 and 2 is foundation for the rest of Genesis. Genesis is foundation for the rest of the five books which is like a block of teaching, as the Gospels are to the New Testament, so the first five books are to the Old Testament. Got that? And then the Old Testament takes us into the New Testament. I've got a diagram here because I didn't talk much about creation last week. It should be up on the screen about the symmetrical literary design of Genesis 1. Is it up there? Okay, just a quick word. You'll notice that it's two columns where there is the cosmic design, what God is doing cosmically. That means 
throughout the whole of the world, the universe. And there's three cosmic spaces or domains. And they are time. The first day is called, the first creation is called day and night. Time. The next is this dome ceiling that somehow or other fits into the cosmology where we have the sky and the seas. And then we have on the third act of creation, that third day, dry land and vegetation. And then if you notice four, five and six, they fill what has been formed. So the function of those first three creation acts are therefore to be inhabited. So the first one, time, we've got sun and moon and stars. Second, we've got the inhabitants, the fish in the seas and the birds in the sky. And then the third, we have inhabited so that animals and humans can live there. And then it says, God's rest, the beginning to rule. God just didn't sit back and leave it. God invited humanity, created humanity to partnership with God in this world. So I thought you might like that one, uh, just to have a quick look. Because today, first of all, I need a drink. <laughs> it's all right for you people online. You can go and get a drink anytime you like. And unfortunately for us here today, the cafe is closed because they've worked eight days straight and they needed a break, which is very spiritual and scriptural anyway. So I just needed a drink. Welcome to those online. Welcome to everyone here. First of all, I want to talk about a little bit of background to help us understand the cultural content and understanding of the Old Oldest Testament and the New Testament. So I'm just getting rid of this diagram for a minute. I think this may also come up on the screen, but I want to just explain what has happened. Initially, when our God, that's right, just keep it there, it's bright yellow, my favourite colour, of course. Remember we had God created the heaven, heavens. Is that the one we use for heavens? I can't remember. Heavens, thank you for those who were here. <laughs> the heavens and the earth so that there might be this at-homeness, God with his people and his people with their God. And in this, there was no separation from what we now call supernatural and natural. This domain was where God and humans lived. And God was very active here. There was always divine activity. There was always a sense of no separation between material and spiritual. In fact, the Bible constantly, right through to the time of Paul, speaks about this being one unity, one thing. Now, that doesn't mean to say that everything was divine. There was just no separation from the supernatural and the natural. There was still what we had when Ben spoke about uh, created in the image of God, the creator-creature distinction. God's always God. We are always the created, okay? 
I don't ever become God. Fortunately, God comes within me and lives within me, but I retain my unique identity. So that's, if you like the, the uh, philosophical word for that, that's called theism. Now that continued right through that kind of thinking till the 16th, 17th century. And we call it the ancient Middle East, Middle Eastern, Eastern way of viewing life, where the gods, for those who didn't have a Christian viewpoint, and humans lived together and God was in everything. It was a little bit different, but it is the sense of that was our thinking. We didn't separate it. But it wasn't long before some scholars started to rediscover the ancient Greek texts from the Greek philosophers. And they had a totally different view of life. They elevated the spiritual. And way down here at the bottom, away from the gods, because that's what they had, was the body and matter. And a lot of our Christian teaching still separates the matter, our bodies, that which God asks us to love him with, from the spiritual, okay? And they, the Greek also had a whole lot of different levels of spiritual beings, but people were on the bottom, okay? That's sad. But during the 16th, 17th centuries, there was a rediscovery of Greek thinking, and that started to come into the, what we now call our Western world and our Western theological viewpoint, but it also came into how we interpret and read scriptures, okay? So what eventually happened is that they said there's a division between the divine, bad color to write, can you read that? Between the divine, where's that black one? <laughs> and between what we call, if you like, natural. Now, for some time, there was still a sense that the divine could supernaturally enter the natural world. But when you separate the divine from the natural, the next thing to say is that God does not operate in the material world. And that led to a theological understanding and biblical interpretation that God operated in the realm of what was spiritual and we humans operated here and we could find our understanding in the natural world and we could use the natural world to explain God. Well, believe it or not, as soon as you put God up there and humans down there, what do you do? You get rid of God. I don't need a God. I don't need that anymore. And that world of deism is the next word, if you want to know what it is, basically said God created the world just like a clockmaker and he wound it all up and one day, and then he left the world, and the world will disintegrate. That's as simple as I can put it, okay? 
I don't need a God. Well, I don't need an explanation. I've got to get rid of God. And I come to what we call in this world the world of secularization. And in this world, we don't need God. There should be another slide there, if that's okay. We don't need our God. We don't need anything because God has created humans with all the answers they need to have to understand this world. Given time and opportunity, humans will find an answer to everything. How about that? And it became the pursuit of happiness. That's the world we live in, brothers and sisters, where TV ads, rich people, the sporting world, the influences in this world just want you to be happy. And how often do you hear parents say that? That's okay. You do what you like as long as you are happy. That's where we've come. That's the secular world. But we also live in a world that can't live happily here because this leads to despair, suicide, death, war, hatred, power plays, imbalance, everything. Because humans have a sin problem that when he said. And so my pursuit of happiness doesn't include you. I'm sorry. Okay? That's how we live. And so if I need you out of the way, too bad. My pursuit of happiness is my pursuit of happiness. That's the world we live in. But we couldn't live there comfortably. So there's another slide that's going to come up there. And we live in a world today that does pursue happiness, that does believe that knowledge, human evidence, everything can, if it, it does not exist, there's no reality unless I can taste it, see it, smell it, feel it. What is the other one? Whatever. <laughs> unless it's through my senses, I can know it. And so, we have people today talking about spirituality. Is that right? And their spiritualities. And we have multi-spiritualities. And I'm not really sure what people mean by their spiritualities. I remember being at a doctor one time, having some work done on my neck and head because I suffered badly from migraines. And there was this moment of silence so me being me said, what are you doing? <laughs> I always ask the doctors what they're doing. What are you doing? And she said, I'm praying. That was the last time I visited that doctor because she was not praying to the God I knew. She had a spirituality. She lived in Launceston, okay? And she had a spirituality that did not align with my God who calls himself spirit. So we do live in a world today of multi-spiritualities, but the pursuit is still find myself, find my happiness, get on with my inner being, live true to who I am, and still, for many people, that is only about who they are. Now, why am I telling you this? Because we, the Bible was written in a time 
when there was not a great divorce between the natural and the supernatural. And so sometimes things in the Old Testament attributed to God because they didn't know any differently. We know that the sun comes up and goes around the... No, we go around the sun. Better get my science right. I'll be sent back to Science 101. We, we, we know a little bit differently. And some of you know a lot more about science than I do, okay? But we know that we can explain some things a little bit differently. We don't have to say these days, God did that. But we do say God produces the order. And we live in a quite disordered world even as far as climate is concerned these days. It is disorderly. This is what I want you to know. The biblical record is always a record of divine activity. And the humans didn't differentiate between whether God spoke, the demon spoke, or the king of the country spoke. Okay? God said it. So we have to be careful in knowing that. There is no supernatural, natural dichotomy or separation. However, God is the God of order. God is the God of order. God is the God of life. God is the God of hope. God is the God of passion. God is there wanting us to be with him. Sin entered the world and produced a disorder within a chaos, a brokenness, a separation from the blessings that were given in the Garden of Eden. Have you got that much so far? Okay. Wisdom is not understanding how this world works, but wisdom entitles finding this God of order for my life and conforming my life aligning my life to this creator God. More about that in a minute. So that's just the background of understanding the Old Testament. Is that okay to have a little bit of that today? All right? Because often we read the word of God through the lens of dualism, secularization, God out there and somewhere we are here. But God is concerned with the whole person all the time living in this created world, to, to, to create a flourishing, multi-ethnic family of God, to worship our God, to partnership with our God in ruling and looking after this world. So in New Testament language, if I was going to do anything, I'm just going to do this diagram again, okay? You've got a beginning and an end. Somewhere in here, we have the Jesus story. And we sang a song today about this Jesus, who is the promise. Okay? So Jesus came into our world to establish, reestablish, to make it possible for us to be reconnected to our God so that we too can be part of this family. So in New Testament language, I read this verse from Ephesians chapter 1. Notice how Ephesians 1 goes right back to Genesis 1 and 2. With all wisdom and insight, 
He has made known to us now the mystery of his will. According to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ Jesus as a plan for the fullness of time. Fullness of time. The end of this, what we call creation now. To gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, everything united in him. So that's the end story where, get your foot off the hoop, where once again we will all be united, those followers of Jesus, those who have come back to the promise. We will be united in him and we will have this new creation, this end of the fullness of the ages where together we are united again in him. So we even have to read the New Testament through the lens of the old. Have you got that? It's great, isn't it? So last week, we ended on the dark part. Is that right? Really dark at the end of chapter 11. We uh, looked at how humans had failed to do the two things God commanded. Remember, it was a command. Do you remember the first one? Establish flourishing communities throughout the land. That's easy enough. Second one was under God-given authority in partnership together with God to rule and care for creation. Two commands. Today we come to chapter 12 and it's like a fresh breeze, a newness of life. It's the wonderful thing that happens as you turn the page, except in my Bible you never turn the page, it just goes automatically on, but it's like turning a new page and there's a new story, instead of commandments, we have promise, promise, there's a lot of difference, during the week I was contemplating promise, and this is my little statement, I want you to just look at this statement, God's promises are always reality. You got that? It's like I can grab it. It's so real. God's promises. God's promise is God's reality. That's how sure, how steadfast it is. It's reality. If you don't take anything away from today, I want you to take that away. God's promises are always reality. Now, from Genesis 12, we have God doing a radically new thing, totally new thing for this failing creation. From among the whole earth, now corrupted through societies, not doing a very good job, not obeying the commandments, God singles out one particular family, a new human pair to be the channel of the blessing given in the Garden of Eden. And so we read in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, when the Lord speaks into the life of Abraham. And remember, I have no idea how it had, but he lived in a world like this. 
So it was no problem identifying that it was not him or someone else. It was the Lord. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the ones who curse you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. In my reading the other day, I read Psalm 22, 28, and this is what it's celebrated. All the urns of the earth will remember and turn to God the Lord. All families of nations will bow low before him. So nearly a thousand years later, we have this word written, the celebration of the promise of God in the eyes of the psalmist who saw it a reality. And we still celebrate that today. So here we have God's grace in a different way entering our world. There's a new thing given. It's the promise of land. Theologically, this is a difficult one. I'm just going to say two things. In this um, promise given to Abraham, land, family, blessing to the nations, the land now is a promise, whereas before it was gift. So they promised this land, and it comes in two stages as we look back in hindsight, but Abraham didn't know that. When Abraham died, he, he only had one piece of land he owned, and that was a grave for his wife. Later we read that he died in faith. When David was king, they had all the land that was promised to Abraham. They couldn't keep the land. Why? Because of their disobedience to God. But that was a sign to the people that God was going to do this with the extension of the creation of Eden throughout the whole world to all humanity in a new creation. And we await the fullness of that, the promise of that. New creation, new heavens, new earth. So it's a sign of what God was going to do, but it was a gift also and a promise. Let's quickly look at Abraham's story. I sure am running out of time. Sorry about that. Yeah, with me for a while? Yes. I'll get chopped. Uh, Abraham's story. There's two things happening. There's the dark thread and there's a golden thread. Remember those stories? Way back we had a diagram, which I didn't go into. All humans still created in the image of God with this dark thread of sin. And the dark thread is our self-reliance when we try to do things God's way, when we are God. One of the things I read again this week in my devotional thing that the first thing I have to learn and discover when I come to Jesus is to forgive myself for not being God and to forgive you too for not being God. Because self-reliance is a form of God. And so we discover that Abraham tried to help God bring about the promises, times of disobedience and lack of trust. But we also had the golden thread, the wonderful thread of God at work, where there are wow moments in Abraham's life. 
that you think, oh, if only they were in my life. They are and they can be. God comes in the wow moments. And there is this covenant made with Abraham, promise and covenant, where God binds himself together to Abraham and his family. And there's beautiful stories there. This is what you notice when you read Genesis. After every wow moment and renewal of the promise, two things happens, happen. Abraham builds an altar, and that's a marker. It's like saying, I'm building this altar here as a mark of God's promise to me that one day this land will be ours, God and us and our family together. A marker of things to come. Make markers in your life, signposts. And also, after every renewal, Abraham falls into terrible sins. He's a liar. He's a cheat. He's a manipulator. He's a pretender. He tries to be God over and over again. So you have these two realities. Isn't that your story? My story? Grace of God. The promise is passed on to his son Isaac and then Jacob. If we keep reading the story, we have sibling rivalry continually. We have the younger chosen over the older each time. Take that in. God did not work within the cultural premises of the time. I'm not saying that we've got to do that today, but God's ways are distinctly different. We have the dark thread of sin interwoven with the wow, God moments. We have the sins of the parents reenacted by the children. You may say, why didn't God say, Abraham, you shouldn't have more than these wives. Jacob, you shouldn't have these four wives. Why didn't God say it? God says, look at their story and you will see where they went wrong. We read the whole story, okay? And we find out from what happens as to what God's verdict is. The only land Abraham had was a grave and some markers. They had a long wait, not to two, 400 years. You'll read about why that was so in Genesis 15, for those of you who are taking notes. Great, good on you. Uh, they were all hanging on to promises. There were God moments of faith, perseverance, patience. It's a delightful story in chapter 22 where a faithful servant of God, a servant of Abraham, a faithful servant who knew God, prayed and saw God intervene. And it's one of the best chapters in all of Genesis, chapter 22, read it, about a young woman who leaves her country and with the promises spoken from a servant, decides to throw her life and risk everything and go and be the wife of Isaac, Rebecca's story. God's story doesn't finish there. There's more to come in the next two weeks. Presence, provision, we actually need a whole year, but we've got four weeks. But just just go to the New Testament for a minute just to find out how we are indebted to Abraham and how we are blessed. In, uh, we have uh, this sense, we won't go through the scripture, but Abraham's, uh, the writer to Hebrews says, Abraham died believing the promises. He died hoping for a land and a home that he could not see. The promise of God is reality and he knew that he had not got it, but he died believing the promise. How's that for faith? 
And I want to say this to the old ones among us, including me. The promise of God for us is a reality. There may be pain and suffering and stuff that we may not like on the journey, but we have a hope and a future in our God that we will have a new creation and new earth. Go for it, Wayne. We are going for it, eh? And for those of us who are a bit closer than others. Abraham died believing God, that God would do what he said. Their best is yet to come. Others too live this reality. There's a better homeland. There's a better way of living, a new creation. Abraham is called by Paul the father of our faith. You didn't know you had another father. The father of your faith, if you're a follower of Jesus, is Abraham. Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He ordered his life according to the God who created this world. We believe in our Lord Jesus Christ, and it is reckoned to us that we are right with God. The spirit of the living God lives within, and we are children of faith. What about you? Are you in the blessed family, the family that will bless all nations, the multi-ethnic family of God, flourishing and including others into this world as a small family here, as a greater family worldwide. The entrance is always through the promise, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Let me pray. Thank you, Jesus, the fulfillment of every promise of God, the reality of God, the hope of our future, that one day there's going to be a home, a new creation of heaven and earth where we will dwell with our God and our God will dwell with us and there will be no presence of sin, no evil. Thank you. And today, Lord, we live in that hope by again giving our lives to you, aligning ourselves to the purposes, the commands, and the promises of God. Thank you for everything that we have in Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'll get rid of everything I brought up here. Let's go for the song, I Speak Jesus. Thank you, Oliver.